0: Welcome to the One O'ahu Podcast. I'm Brandy Higa, and today is Thursday, March 2nd, 2023. And joining us this week is the Deputy Director for the City's Department of Transportation Services, John Nouchi. Thanks for joining us, John. Morning, Brandy. All right, so I want to start off with rail. A few months ago, we conducted a full-scale exercise. It was for local media to see. Um, But that's just one of the tests being conducted before we get ready for opening day. What's the latest?
1: So the very latest, this very morning, we've embarked upon, I guess, our final run of testing for rail. And what that means is our operator has to run this ballet, this choreography of what it takes to run a full schedule of the rail system from here on in. And they will be judged on how successful each execution of each individual test and metric is. And that is everything from the human resource aspect of deploying people to the stations to open the stations as if we have, we're have we operating a full day of service. So we have to do that um, basically through the whole service span hour. So they have to get people out there by 5 in the morning and run it till 7 p.m. and run a train every 10 minutes in both directions. So that's really exciting because it's really, if, if you look at it as a, uh, as an exercise, it just takes a lot to deploy that many people and to operate a rail system. So this is kind of where they're going to prove that they can operate a safe, reliable, and resilient system for us.
0: In this time frame, though, where these tests are happening, what happens if, say, they are behind schedule? If something, you know, what are they looking for exactly here?
1: So actually, we are looking at a very high bar that they have to meet. They have to successfully meet a 98.5% Success rate in every single metric that we give them, of which there are probably hundreds or thousands of them. Um, and once they can meet that, then the system gets turned over from Hart and the operator to the city DTS, and then we operate it as part of our multimodal system, right along with bus and handy van.
0: So, what happens if they don't meet those? Does a test start all over again, or, or
1: the test will start all over again? So. It is a very rigorous process, and at this point, we don't believe it's a wasteful process because this is there's a lot riding on this. This right. is America's right. first fully autonomous rail system, and not only the city, but the state and our federal partners and really the rest of the world is looking at this as a first for America.
0: So everything goes as planned. Testing goes well. What are we looking at timeline?
1: You know, that's kind of a hard thing to say. Um we want to, this is our very first day of testing. We kind of want to get a sense of where everything is going. So I don't necessarily want to commit, but we're looking at rail opening, you know, later this year, like maybe mid year. Could be earlier, could be later. It just depends on how successful this testing
0: is. And what's been the feedback, I guess, that you're hearing? Because it's kind of neat, you know, when you're at the stadium, when you're in, you know, Waipahu and you see the rail cars going by, it's almost as if opening day is a lot closer than maybe we expected, anticipated. What, what's the feedback you're getting? So
1: I think our. People who see the train up there, they're not at the point right now where they're like, oh, this is not going to happen. I mean, it's almost like this is happening. This is going to happen. And, you know, I was out there this weekend. I was saying aloha to Aloha Stadium. And it was just so cool to see the, the trains coming in and out of the Aloha Stadium station. And, you know, seeing everybody point up there to see all the kids get excited about it. Because maybe, you know, this is not, I mean, of course, when this rail system opens, it's all of our rail system. But this represents something different, especially for the Keiki. This is a 100-year system. This is going to make a difference on how we get around our mobility on this island for years to come.
0: And how many rail cars are there?
1: So we have 20 rail cars. Um, I think the last ones are just trickling in right now. Each train has four cars. They're permanently coupled together. One of the most unique things about our rail system is that you can actually— stand at one end, and look all the way down to the other end, which is almost, it's about 270 feet away to the other side of the train. And we have a nice little surprise for people. Okay. Um, Both ends of the train. Normally, if you ride any other train in in America, there will be a cab and an operator in it, and you don't get to see out the front of the car. But in our train system, we have a seat right at the front of the train with the windshield right there, and you can look straight out at where the train's going. And it's like the best seat on the train, and there's two of them—one out the back and one out the front.
0: So if I'm sitting there, it almost looks as if I am driving the train. That's
1: exactly what <laughs> it looks like. <laughs> and for thought. me, like I'm, I'm a trans—I'm sorry, I'm a, I'm a transportation geek. So that kind of stuff—if I had that when I was a kid, <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know that you would ever get me out of that seat.
0: Right. All right. I want to get to one of the questions sent in by a member of the public. This one's from Jeffrey. He says, "I remember seeing the next big bus." lane project is in Waikiki along Kuhio. Is construction still anticipated for later this year?
1: Our bus lane project, we're currently going through uh, the planning phase for it and design for this, and we hope to kick over into construction um, by the end of this year. Now, bus lanes are something that, you know, they are a part of the fabric of our island roads. We had a lot of them. In fact, if you look at uh, Hotel Street in downtown, that's been there for many years, since um, the 70s and the 80s. Um, in Waikiki, we've had bus lanes in the past that actually went away in the early 80s. We had a bus lane that went contraflow on Kalakawa Avenue and went um, against the rest of the one-way traffic. So we're looking at a return to that sensibility from the Mayor Fossey days who really prioritized buses moving through our communities. And we want to establish these bus lanes where we have the most transit in Waikiki on Kuhio Avenue.
0: Jeffrey also asked if DTS has explored the feasibility of a BRT system for the King Beretania corridor between UH and Chinatown to supplement rail
1: Absolutely so um, BRT for those that don't know it's I don't know what is that bus rapid transit okay so it's like a, a very uh, frequent express bus that makes very limited stops and it's very rapid it travels across the city. Um, we have something like that right now with our routes A, C, and E. Um, they go longer distances between UH Manoa and Waipahu, and Ala Moana and Makaha and Waikiki and Ewa Beach, respectively. Um, but when rail ends up, when we open rail this year at the stadium, we're going to have a bus rapid transit route that connects to that rail line at Aloha Stadium, and then expresses people right on the freeway. Um, to Chinatown, Downtown, uh, Kaka'ako, Ala Moana, and UH Manoa to provide that, that um, substitute for rail while we can get rail constructed to these places. So to answer the question, we are looking at other services that would operate along the King and uh, Baratania couplets uh, between that side of the island to supplement um, rail when rail does get to town here.
0: And when you say uh, when rail opens, is that second, uh, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter?
1: I think um, it's probably safe to say we're looking at second or third quarter. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, Jeffrey had another part of his question. It says he wanted to follow up on a question. He had actually asked this a couple weeks ago when we had Mayor on this podcast. He wanted to know about the city employee bus pass. He's glad to hear Mayor talked about that it is in the works, but he wants to know the timeline for implementation, if you can provide more information on that program.
1: Sure. We're definitely looking at how this program gets implemented. And I think the trigger for us implementing this, it's gonna be concurrent with any work and construction done on the civic center parking structure. Um, We recognize that that construction will be very, very disruptive for um, availability of parking for city employees, but it's also an opportunity for us to introduce people or reintroduce people to the bus and offer a city employee bus pass to those that may not take a parking during that period of time, or maybe you want to try something different, um, we'll also have you know by that time that construction gets going. We'll also have other rail and other services in place. So I think we're we're ramping up to make the bus and our whole transit program, including rail, uh, just a more multimodal, more friendly, and a quicker option for people.
0: Yeah, I think that's what it is, right? Getting people, kind of encouraging people to try. Maybe you haven't rode the bus since high school, but it's always interesting to try new things. How how often do you ride the bus?
1: I actually use the bus almost every day. Okay. Um, I live close to town now. I used to live in Mililani. And when I lived in Mililani, I would try to take the bus um, to my job in town uh, maybe two or three times a week. And it really gives, especially now, I mean, like you have so many things you can do on your smartphone that if you're driving, you really, you, know, you, you get a lot more time sitting on the bus. And I've, I've been learning Spanish whenever I ride the bus. <laughs> I'm not very good at it but you know i've had like a i think i'm on like a 420 day streak of like using duolingo to learn spanish okay. so i mean there's there's things you can do and it's a good time to catch up on email so that by the time you get off the bus you're kind of like ready to, to work you know right and yeah i mean I, I i you get accustomed to that time um that it's time that you don't get back
0: i'm i'm not a regular bus user but i can say that i did recently take the bus to get to the eddie contest yeah um that was that was a great idea. Um, what was the feedback you got on people trying to make it out to the North Shore with, where was thousands of thousands of people all going to the same place, same time?
1: So the Eddy was kind of a transit dream and a transit nightmare at the same time. It was almost presenting an impossible problem of how do you get thousands and thousands of people to a very remote spot on the island and get everybody there safely and with you know just with regard to the neighborhood that it's in and everything. So we had to throw that together very quickly, but that exercise was not lost on us. So we, we we are using everything we learned in that time to just have that service ready to de- deploy at any time. And we're building that into our regular schedule such that during surf season, we're ready to deploy it, we can turn it on, um, it'll appear. I think nowadays when it appears in like, um, we have all these apps that show you where the bus is and how long it's gonna be before it comes. And I think people rely on those things and having it being able for us to turn that on ad hoc and just run that extra service during surf season i think makes all the difference for people um i was really proud that so many people took advantage of the service in fact um i always say when i showed up to Moana that morning at at four in the morning i had that there were probably about two to three hundred people waiting for that first bus and i had that feeling that panicked feeling like you ever had that dream where (laughs) Like, you're you, you you're in school, but you don't go to class the whole semester, and then you show up for the exam, you don't know anything. <laughs> that kind of panic was, like, rising in me. But I got to say, everybody there, they they heard our messaging. They decided not to drive, and they all planned to take the bus. We managed to get some extra buses out, which was real good. And everybody was so nice and patient and, and thankful and grateful for the service. And it, it's just such a good thing when... We can we can put the right words out and get people to try transit.
0: Yeah, yeah and, and kudos to your staff because, like I said, I'm I'm not a regular bus user, so I wasn't sure how the transfer worked or you know. But once you got out there, they said, "Hey, going to Waimea? Get on this one," and everyone was super helpful.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's great, and I think that's we we're really good at the personal touch here. Yeah.
0: Uh, this next question is still on the minds of, of so many people: pedestrian safety, particularly at Kapi'olani and Kamake following the death of that McKinley High School student, Sarah Yara. How can tragedies like this be prevented from, from happening again?
1: Let me first start by saying that this has been since that crash and Sarah Yara's just untimely too soon death, it's it's been a really hard time here in our department. That being said, you know, we've had a lot of tears, we've had a lot of yelling, we've had a lot of anger and definitely a lot of sadness. And I don't see that as a bad thing for our department. I think this is the fact that people are willing to be so so open and to let their emotions be expressed and help chart a path as to what our department needs to do. I think that's a fully healthy and it, it, it actually serves as kind of a turning point for our department. And... We do have a program called Vision Zero, which goes ahead and makes the strong declaration that we are striving towards zero fatalities on our roadway, it's a, and it, it's a very strong statement. And of course, the detractors will say, well, there's no way you can have zero. But there's no reason we shouldn't strive towards it. Um, everything that's preventable, we need to take into account everything we can do to make safer roads, safer streets, safer environments for everyone along the roads and we think about just what happened to Sarah and 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 the other 11 people that have perished on our roadways I mean it's I I hate to say it but you know Sarah was about two weeks ago Sarah's untimely passing and she was number seven and as of yesterday or the day before we're at number 12 and that's really not acceptable and when we look at it like that, I, I challenged our, our, our team here at DTS that we're no longer going to delve in those numbers. Like we're not going to refer to people by the number that sometimes the media likes to say we have this many fatalities as opposed to this many at that time. But we've been delving a little bit deeper and looking into the people and the impact of these people in our communities because you know we lose we lose one person to a fatality and That person has immeasurable reach, and it's gonna be Not too long before it circles around and it's gonna be somebody we know and It, it is that way. I mean Honolulu is famous for being a big city, but acting like a small town and I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a little bit emotional about this. We spent so much time talking about this and we just, Sarah's death will be that catalyst or that inspiration and kind of a little bit of a, n- I mean, not even a little bit, it'll be a north star for us as to how do we, we have to take our role very seriously in creating the absolute safest environments that we can for, for people on our roadways.
0: But what happens now? I, mean, I imagine it's challenging when you're dealing with trying to influence driver behavior as well. Yeah, so I mean,
1: I'll start on the positive side. Um, we're in a really good place. So I've been in this posi- in, I've been in this role at DTS for about 7 years now. And I remember when we used to go out to neighborhoods and say we're putting in a traffic circle or a roundabout or speed humps or a raised crosswalk and people used to get mad. You know? Mm-hmm. They used to get mad and say, "Well, what are you going to do? You're going to slow down traffic. You can cause traffic. You can cause congestion." And I think when it comes down to it, most of the, the the really bad crashes, these impactful crashes where people die, are caused by impatience, you know, people rushing, people not having their proper head on when they're in the roadway. And I find it super refreshing that in the span of about seven years, we now have neighborhoods imploring us to put speed humps, to reduce speeds, to do these kinds of, um, everything we have in our Complete Streets toolkit to To improve these roads and make them safer places, and that's not where we were a little while ago, but so in a short time we've kind of done this about face and it's all about safety right now and you know, if I can talk a little bit about stuff that like to borrow from a raps Hawaii line, you know what bugs me? This is something that really gets me going, and when I grew up on this island and I don't, I, I mean, I, I guess I'm older than I think, but I still think of myself as kind of young, but I'm, you know, maybe I'm closer to 50 than I am 40 right now. Um, when I grew up, you never honked at anybody.
0: Unless you knew them.
1: Unless you knew them. There's a tone, right? Right. Like, people are laying you on their horns. don't lock out hon- the elbow. No. So people are laying on their <laughs> horns because of impatience right. or b- because of anger yeah. or because they're in a rush. And before, we only had, bap, bap, like, you would signal your people that you knew, and you would wave at them, shaka. Mm-hmm. And that's the extent of how we used to honk. Now, I don't know if it's because we're all pressed for time, we're all pressure cooked, that we're all in a rush now, but I mean, I, I almost expect somebody to honk out on the street right now, and we're gonna hear it right now when we're doing this podcast, because it's become common. And you know what, I'm not okay with that. I am not okay with us giving up our that small town sensibility mm-hmm and giving way to like letting this anger and this frustration and that kind of thing go. I mean, and and giving way and letting people honk and not getting more mad at the person that honked than the person who was the offender. And I think I'm kind of starting to feel that, I started to feel that pressure because, you know, in addition to riding um, the bus, I mean, I do drive, I don't have a car, but I'll drive like my parents' car or like a friend's car and like everybody's in a rush, yeah? And we, maybe we have just a higher level of pressure cooker on this island right now that we need to figure out how to, how to work around. But we just need to slow down. You know, I mean, I think everybody realizes that you cannot make time. You cannot create time. You cannot get time back. Same thing. If you kind of taking your time at home, getting ready to go, and then you realize that when you get on the road that you're late, and that's the time you're going to try and make up by, like, running a, what I call a relo, you know, it's not the time to do it. You cannot make up time. So just ease back. And something that's very striking to us is, you know, the percentage of of living if you're say, – say a car hits a pedestrian going 20 miles an hour, that person has a huge chance of living. But if you hit somebody just going 20 miles an hour more at 40, that person likely going to die. And that's really the – you think about that tipping point on Kapiolani. How many people are going 25, which is the speed limit in that section like near Kamakee Street, versus how many people are going 45, 35, 45, 50 or more? So what does that get you though? You speed down our boulevards, down the roads in our city and it's not gonna get you more than three minutes. You're not gonna save more than a few minutes, maybe a few seconds. Maybe you you avoid a long light, you know, like a, a three minute light at our busier intersections, but you know what? The cost of what can happen in that moment of carelessness or indiscretion or not thinking, I don't think anybody who got into a crash because they were in a rush would say, oh, that was worth it. So hey, just everybody just slow down, you know? And, and I think that's, that's kind of, that's gonna be our, our rallying call, just slow down.
0: Of course people are asking for other types of solutions. So you mentioned earlier speed humps, raised crosswalks, um, you know is that the solution for not just maybe McKinley but but other you know other districts where children are, are getting to school is that the solution?
1: Yeah, so we I mean we're looking at first I think we're going to focus on areas around schools mm-hmm. because you know ideally we want kids to learn our our to learn how to be good pedestrians. Mm-hmm. But it's a two way street. I mean, pardon the pun, but our uh, kids have to learn how to be good pedestrians, but all the other users of the roadway have to respect that they're cakey on the road. Mm-hmm. And so, who has the advantage? Someone in a three to 5,000 pound automobile or, mm-hmm. you know, a 40 pound kid. Right. So, I think we people always say, well, the pedestrians don't do this, the bikes don't do this. D- that's all true. But when you're sitting in a multi ton vehicle, you have the ability to kill. Pedestrian is not going to kill you if you hit them. And we just need to think about that equity across all users of the roadway. And for those that say they drive everywhere, I challenge them to say that you are always a pedestrian at some point. Mm -hmm. When you get out of your car, you're a pedestrian. So we have to think about how to make safer spaces for pedestrians all over our city. I mean, it's not just for, for the city to look at it, but even when people are designing you know, shopping centers or places, you know, places for people to live, neighborhoods. From the development side, we just have to introduce safe principles of complete streets in in every place that we go.
0: We have a question sent in um, by Joni, and she's asking something similar, where she wants to know when speed-mitigating interventions will be done on Mokulele and Nihina Street.
1: Okay, I'm actually familiar with that. I got some friends Yeah, you're a Windward side boy, right? Yeah, I got... I got some friends that live, uh, I think about a block up from there, and that's right, just for the people that are listening, that's um, Mokulele Drive is uh, intersects with Kamehameha Highway and Kaneohe Bay Drive, and it's like a connector road that services that whole neighborhood that uh, Pohainani is in, if you guys can Mm -hmm. picture that. So it kind of runs behind Windward City Shopping Center. Um, When it interfaces with, when it intersects with Kamehameha Highway, it does have a pretty sharp downhill there, and whenever you have downhills, people tend to speed so I know we've already done a what we call a road diet, which is kind of like reapportioning space on the road. And it's actually really effective, we found, that when you narrow lanes and actually put, the, you know, like really narrow striping on the road, it, it has a visual effect that actually makes people feel a little bit uneasy, so they reduce their speeds. So we've um, – that road diet we have has kind of helped to reduce speeds, but we can understand that um, – In that neighborhood, they are coming from a downhill from Kamehameha Highway. And we can take a look at, you know, if the speeding condition is still there. And actually appreciate that, you know, when the neighborhood comes to us, it's a good thing for them to tell us what the problem is. If it's speeding, if it's, you know, we, a lot of people are crossing and there's no crosswalk. And then we can kind of help come up with a whole bunch of solutions that we can propose for implementation. And then the neighborhood can kind of help us decide what is the most appropriate in the context of their own neighborhood because nobody knows their neighborhood like they do, right? Right. But um, it's hard. Like I said, I'm actually not super upset that people are coming to us and they want speed humps. They, they're they demanding, you know, raised crosswalks and things to slow people down like we talked about earlier. But sometimes, you know, we can't put those things given the space on the road or just there's curves or there's engineering principles that we have to check through before we can actually put something in. So... We really do appreciate the neighborhoods coming to us and telling us what the problem is. And then it's kind of like um, like Vanilla Ice says, right? Like, if you if you got a problem, yo, I'll solve it.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's the best way for them to come forward, though? Is it is it like Joni to, to send in a question, or is there a number to call? Should they go to their neighborhood board if they see issues in their area?
1: They can do any of those things. They can call us here at DTS, um, and we will assign it to the proper people who have responsibility um, if it's in the urban area, it'll go to a certain part of our traffic engineering. If it's in the, you know, everything outside of Honolulu, we'll just make sure that an engineer who knows the area gets it and we'll help them route their, their concerns. Um, it is helpful to go to the, the neighborhood board also. Neighborhood board is a good sounding board for where everybody else is in the neighborhood. And if they're aware of it, they can also kind of amplify the need mm-hmm. that the constituent brings up to us.
0: You mentioned complete streets earlier. Um, and with this with safety so top of mind uh, for those that aren't aware what is comp- complete streets what's 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 the whole vision there
1: so complete streets is actually passed into law by our city council and it requires a city anytime that we touch a roadway that we have to look at how that roadway is used across all users so from the very small from you know keiki to kupuna pedestrians to bikes to single occupant cars to you know, buses, delivery trucks, anybody that uses the roadway, we have to look at equity of use across all that. And what, what that equity means is that we come from uh, a background, and the, the rest of the United States actually did the same thing where our roads were designed at some point to just funnel as much capacity and traffic and congestion to have minimal congestion and have as much speed as we could. And if you look at cities like um, that our, our listeners might be familiar with, like our West Coast cities like Los Angeles and Las Vegas, these broad boulevards are designed for speed. And in fact, when people visit the continent and come back here, they're like, oh, how come the speed limits in the West Coast are so much higher than ours? And we've come to a point where we realize that optimizing roads for car travel and speed, it actually is tantamount to safety. What we wanna do is regulate speed on our roadways such that we get to the point where if there is an unfortunate crash, they're not as injurious. So we're looking at complete streets across all users of the roadway. How is this street gonna be used by by our pedestrians, by our bikers, by you know, even our transit users who access transit on the street? And we're really looking at how people use curbs. It's that's even evolved a lot over the last ten years. I mean, if you look at rideshare and even the rise of online delivery, the curb is like where all the business happens in our city. Like, you know, you have, you have our delivery services that deliver our, our online shopping to us, but it's also where our passengers get on our buses and it's where bicycles ride and, you know, it's people turn across curbs to get into businesses. So to me, that's like this new, it's like an old frontier that's made more valuable in our new frontier, I guess, you know, in our, in our new city. Curbs are super valuable and but not just the curb, but the whole roadway. We have to look at the best way to utilize all that space in the roadway. So to go back to one of the, the questions that we had earlier about bus lanes, it's kinda all about reallocating space in the streets. Like the buses, we run a lot of bus service in the city. And a lot of times the buses just dominate that, that right turn lane such that cars really they wouldn't choose to be in it because buses they stop, you know, once every other block or, or so. And what we're doing is is if the bus is really taking up that much of the right lane, we just as well reserve that for the buses and let cars kinda go. Um, you'll see that also as a, a component of safety. Just um, we we wanna make sure that every crossing we have, we wanna make the pedestrian as as least vulnerable as they can be in the street. So we have these things called bulb bolts or curb extensions. So they're like at where a four-lane road meets another four-lane road, and maybe there's a four-way stop. What we want to do is bulb it out and extend the curbs at the intersection such that the pedestrian only has to cross, really, and be vulnerable during mm-hmm. two lanes worth of the road. And just that, that half time of being vulnerable, just the safety outcome is just hugely exponential.
0: You say we, but I know in the beginning – Parts of Complete Streets, there was an option for public testimony. Um, there were meetings that they could show up at. What's the status of that? Wh- what happened to that testimony or those ideas that the public submitted?
1: So um, Complete Streets was actually enacted a while back now. I think we're, we're actually, it probably was enacted over 10 years ago now. But every project that, that the city touches, and that's our Design and Construction Department and our Department of Facility Maintenance in collaboration with DTS, we're, we're bound to look at how we can improve the road and make it a better complete street. And so that goes through a process. Um, neighborhood board generally gets a presentation of, of everything that we're doing. And um, our complete streets administrator, Renee Espial she's awesome. She will show up to almost any neighborhood board multiple times and take the questions, take the hard questions and take the ideas. and um, Complete streets is oftentimes a tug of war. Because, you know, people have a hard time with change, right? And um, a good example of that is we have a, a complete streets project on Ke'eomoku. One of the busiest streets, really, in our urban core, it kind of it bisects our Ala Moana Center, huge destination. It runs all the way Malka into our Makiki neighborhoods, which has some of our highest residential density. We're working at looking at how does Ke'eomoku become a complete street and It's interesting, those that live along the corridor, they want better sidewalks. They want better pedestrian paths. Um, They want bike facilities that they can ride safely and get around. A lot of the people in that corridor don't have cars, but the tug of war is between all the automobile users that use that road to travel through their neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And we have to kind of look at like, Who we have to look at balancing the needs of people who are using the road and don't live in the neighborhood versus those that do live in the neighborhood, and need safer ways to get around their neighborhood. And as we develop into a more transit-friendly city, you know that's that's going to be a a super important balancing act that we need to do. Where people are moving into our urban corridor, and you know not maybe not buying cars, or instead of having two cars, they're having one car now, and those decisions. are really going to shape how how our city grows responsibly and sustainably and resi- um and in a resilient manner into the future.
0: I want to get to another question submitted by Matt. He asks, why is the Daniel K. Inouye Airport so behind the times in terms of pickup and drop off? Why are ride shares, including Uber and Lyft, still not allowed? I believe they are they are allowed now, right? They are
1: allowed, yeah. And actually, yeah. um. I believe the the rideshares such as Uber and Lyft have been permitted since April about three years ago, and I, I believe there are three uh, rideshare locations at the airport. So that is uh, a responsibility of our state Department of Transportation partners. But I think you know we all v- I think we've used rideshare at the airport. You and you and Just I both, go Brandi. Got to go upstairs. Second right? floor. Yeah. Second yep. Floor. Second floor. Find the zone closest to you. I believe there's one near the Hawaiian Airlines the, the f- that inter island terminal, and then there's two more, uh, but all on the second floor. Yeah.
0: All right, John, while this is an opportunity to have a discussion, this is also a time to get to know our leaders in the city. How long have you been with the city? I've been
1: with the city since 2014, so I guess that's about nine years right now. But before that, I was actually part of uh, an organization very close to the city. I was at Oahu Transit Services, which runs our bus and handy van for the city. So I was there for about 16 years. So the last 25 years I've spent in transit, and probably the last seven, well, let's say my first 16 years were in bus. My, the next three years after that were in rail when I was at Hart. And cresting upon seven years here in transportation, which is all the complete streets and the planning and the engineering and you know also still getting to work with all the Ohana that I crossed paths with at the bus and Hart. So it's a super, I mean, I think it's a great place to be. And it's something that I've always loved and been passionate about my whole life.
0: So how, I, how did that happen? Were you, cause you know, I have a best friend was little boy is obsessed with the bus, you said your whole life. So was that you? You just you always wanted to work with with transit.
1: Oh, I was that little boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think my 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 parents probably wondered why I was so fascinated with the bus. But I always tell this story. I grew up in a uh, really windward side. I grew up in Ahuimanu. and and um, I think whoever planned that service at that time was really like kind of forward thinking because we had a bus that came up our street and it turned left right in front of our house and. I just kind of remember, like, the bus came every hour, and so when we used to play on the weekends and stuff like that, you know, you would see, um, you would just wave at the bus driver and get out of the road, and then let the bus pass, and then it was kind of a way that we just ticked off the hours of the day, right, every hour the bus would go by, and I was kind of lucky because my Chinese grandmother um, and well, grandparents, my Popo and Gongong, they lived in Kapahulu, and... Every day, my popo would go take the bus to Chinatown to go buy food and stuff like that. And, you know, during the summers, I would—I mean, I I wouldn't say she dragged me along. I actually liked going with her. And so we always rode the bus, like, almost every day. And it kind of introduced me to having that reliability and having that—I don't know. It's just, like, it's just way more interesting on the bus than if you got shuttled into a car. And I guess, you know, transit life and car life is super different. Mm -hmm. And I think you just get to see so mu- so many more things from the windows of the bus, even inside the bus versus, you know, just being shuttled point to point. And, you know, they say the fun is getting there. And I think that's a- absolutely true with transit.
0: When I first met you, it was at the grand opening and blessing for the JTMC, our Joint Traffic Management Center. And you did an Oli. What's the story there? Is that like another role you play in this city?
1: Um, I will go... <laughs> oh, that's that's kind of a tough question. So... In my job right now, I guess I'm motivated by by two educational influences. I w- did go to college and get a degree in urban planning um, with an emphasis in transportation. So in that sense, I landed exactly where I needed to be after college. And it's not lost on me that a lot of people don't get to do exactly what they studied in college. A lot of people study something and end up in something completely different. So in that sense, I knew I liked transportation. I studied that at LA, in LA at USC. And I've gotten to watch how L.A. has evolved over the years, right? So lucky that I ended up getting a job in transportation at home. But when I graduated from college, I moved home, and we were in the middle of this, like, mid-90s recession. And the real story is that my mom was worried about me having medical benefits. And the only way I could have medical benefits was if I was a full-time student. And so what I did was I got a certificate in Hawaiian language in Olala Hawaii at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. And I will say that while it seems like my planning degree in transportation would be way more valuable, my Olelo Hawaii certificate has colored how I see this world that we live in. Like everything that we do here at the city has the lens of Olala Hawaii on it. And I think, I mean, I'm just so lucky of all that knowledge that I was able to kind of gain during that time. In fact, just the other day, um, we went back to the recording studio with my professor, Paul Kea Nogelmayer, and back in 1999, he agreed to put his voice on the bus. And it's funny, I mean, he's a doctorate, he's a kumuhula, he's celebrated as a music composer, and he even says, you know, after all the things that I've accomplished in my life, people are going to put on my headstone, he was the voice <laughs> of the bus. And you know, he's not, he's okay with that. Yeah, yeah. And it's become this thing, like even on Twitter, like people have called out other transit agencies after they visited here. They're mm-hmm. like, "Hey CTA, why don't you get Paul K. Nogomar to do the voice for for our trains and buses?" And it's people have gotten so accustomed to hearing mm-hmm. his voice. And you know, one thing that he's very proud of, um, and initially I don't think he wanted to do it because I remember he told me. So he knows me as Kama Aha. Mm-hmm. He goes, "Hey Kama'aha, Aha, if I do this, I do not want to become." an annoyance i don't want to be a recorded voice that is annoying to people and you know probably about thousands of phrases later people are so accustomed to hearing his voice like right. they they know like the pauses and if you tell anybody who rides the bus if you start them off with if you see something they're immediately going to pause just the right amount and chime in with say something <laughs> and it, it's become like this beloved icon on our bus and it hasn't gone without any like for Pua one of the the most pleasing things that we did was um we hadn't I had an intern at at Oahu Transit Services when I was there and that intern is now has my job and he's the director of planning and scheduling for them and he's come very far in the company but at that time I had him work with Pua to survey our workforce and find out that if there's a uh consistent pronunciation model that our bus operators and 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 passengers can follow whether that changes how they pronounce things and it absolutely did i i think it was overwhelmingly found that our bus operators long time growing up they used to pronounce words a certain way but being exposed to a consistent pronunciation model by pokeo mm-hmm. and just having that with them they changed stuff that like i mean you know if you if you said stuff the same way that you were since you're a kid you don't change that right, right? And our bus yard used to be right um, near Honolulu Hale. And it was at the corner of um, King Street and South Street and Alapai Street. And for years, we had no Okina in Alapai. Alapai, And everybody called it Alapai. And for a company that has been there since the, you know, the 1900s, and we're like, oh, go to Alapai, you'll hear Alapai. So, like, people have found their Okina. Mm -hmm. And like that kind of stuff, I think is super rewarding, especially for a company where it's our our bus company, especially has a maybe like a twenty five percent Native Hawaiian um, uh, composition in our workforce. And so to reactivate language like that, like I said, it's it's super exciting.
0: I want to get to a couple of bills introduced in the le- uh, ledge of the session. HB thirteen nineteen would allow bicyclists to proceed through a red light signal if the sensor fails to recognize their presence. Uh, SB fifteen oh six would help fund programs like you mentioned, Vision Zero, as well as Safe Routes to School. There are a lot of bills this session to keep an eye on. Can you talk about some of the measures you're following and you guys are supporting?
1: Yeah, actually, so we're following about seventy measures. I was, I mean, it's it's been kind of a crazy whirlwind session, which you know, ledge session is always like that. Um, one of the m- one of the ones we're most focused on is going to be. Um, there's a current law right now that uh, that uh, means a felony charge if you interfere with the operator of a public transit vehicle. So basically, if you assault a bus operator, which could be uh, like our the bus or our handy van or even uh, a student assaulting a school bus driver or anybody assaulting any operator Mm -hmm. of a public transit vehicle, you you have um, enhanced penalties. Um, Knowing that our rail system now doesn't have an operator necessarily on board we had to kind of um, revise th- the law or propose revisions to the law that would carry that same weight and penalties for, for those that interfere with the operations of a transit vehicle. And why that's very important to us is, like I said, the train is really long. I mean, under crushed loads, it can carry 800 people on, a, on a one train. And if anybody does interfere with anything that makes that, that riding experience less safe, there really should be an enhanced penalty that takes care of that, that that carries that threat, yeah. so that people do act more responsibly on trains, and you know, as well on buses and any other public conveyance.
0: Uh, any other measures?
1: Definitely tracking um, safe routes to school and everything that contributes to pedestrian safety and any monies that are, are apportioned towards just enhancing our pedestrian environment with Vision Zero and Complete Streets in
0: mind. Um, speaking of schools, safe routes to school, your department made some news recently with the Kiki Corridor by Fern Elementary. Can you tell us about that project?
1: Yeah, the Kiki Corridor was something that I, I'm actually smiling just thinking about it. Um, and here's why. A lot of times, you know, our our oldest neighborhoods are sometimes the hardest ones to do things in. Because in terms of infrastructure, they just don't have things. And they have, you know, narrow roads because people didn't have cars before. And a lot of these are like walking paths that became roads and um, Fern Elementary serves Kuhio Park Terrace and the students that live around there. And so it's a hugely dense neighborhood in Kalihi that had no sidewalks. And the Kiki would just slog through and it was maybe it's part of that hardscrabble Kalihi image, right? It would rain. They walked through the puddles. They'd walk in the roads. And we just looked at it as, look, we got to do something about that. And so we kind of, again, with complete streets, we looked at how we apportion the whole width of the street that the city controls, and we put up a temporary thing that will likely give way to a more permanent infrastructure, but we just used um, delineators, those, those pop-up barriers, and reserved an area for the keiki on on the road. And, like, when you look at those things like that and you see the kids, like, just walking in it as soon as we separated it out, it just makes me feel so good. That It also makes me feel upset that it took this long, but those are the kinds of solutions we're looking at. Like we realize that we can't be – if we put in a sidewalk everywhere there needed to be one or everywhere that people wanted there to be one in the city, we'd probably be in the billions of dollars in terms of being able to do that and actually being able to turn out that. it's. I mean, some of these neighborhoods never had sidewalks. And what people don't realize is, is if you put it in the sidewalk, you have to worry about sewer, curbs, gutters, drainage, all this other kind of engineering things. And so this quick build program that we can do through Complete Streets, it's like a precursor to doing the best we can. But it allows us to do something in the interim that's immediate. And it, ju- it really does make me smile to just think about that, that you can have like this really lasting effect with just putting up some temporary curbs and some delineators, you can make things exponentially safer. And when you see that pop up around our islands, like I'm just really proud of, of the people that in our city, and that extends out to, you know, even our Department of Facility maintenance, who they're the ones who install this for us. They're our partners. We we prescribe, you know, the engineering of it and they make it happen. And then immediately you go out and you see people enjoying the benefit of that. You'll see Kupuna crossing you know a busy roadway but having a place to to stop in the middle and then contemplate the next two lanes and it I, that, that's that's some of the most satisfying work that I think we do.
0: Uh this next question is kind of in line with that. This one was sent in by a member of the public. Uh this person is writing on behalf of a woman named Anne Inkanoehe. She's a longtime resident of Oahu and is blind. She lives directly across Likelike Highway f- from the Windward City Shopping Center. So she says, unfortunately, she can obviously not cross the highway unless an auditory signal is installed to tell her the traffic has stopped and it's safe to cross. She says she knows such devices exist and wonders how they can get one installed there.
1: Easy question, actually. So good for Anne. Now that we know about it, we generally put these in in new installations of signals or if by request by the public. So this one is a state intersection under a state DOT, but we'll let them know. And if they're okay with it, then we will go ahead and put in the auditory. Uh, we call it clickers. Mm-hmm. So it's a button that actually you can hear. Um, it clicks slowly when it's red, and then it clicks frequently when it's green. Um, and the person can actually also rest their hand on it and feel it. You know, f- they can feel the pulse too to have a, a, a more insurance of what the signal is. And so, you know, knowing that right now, I'll just send an email, and we'll see how quickly we can get that done.
0: Uh, recently we announced an addition of new handy vans to our fleet where are we on that
1: Um, the handy vans should actually be coming they should be going online in within a few months Um, there's been actually a nationwide shortage of these vehicles we were very lucky that we were able to hold our place in line and have these vans go online for the custom build that you know will make it into one of our handy vans and so we should definitely see those before the end of the year
0: John thank you so much for your time anything we missed no,
1: I think that's, it, this is a good time. Thanks. Can we do us, this again? Fun too. Yeah, we can, do this, <laughs> we
0: can do this as often as you want.
1: All right. All right. Sounds good.
0: And if you have a question for John and the Department of Transportation Services or any of the departments here in the city and county of Honolulu, you can submit your podcast questions by heading to oneoahu.org slash podcast. Don't forget, in just just over two weeks now, Mayor Brangiardi will be on his town hall tour Find out when Mayor and his team will be in your area by heading to oneoahu.org slash hall. John, you'll be there too, right? Absolutely. And I hope you'll join us next week as we're back with Mayor Rick Blangiardi right here on the One O'ahu Podcast. Until then, aloha.